What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Uh, I do want to bring a message from the book of, of Romans today. Uh, I am number four in the series. Uh, I went back and caught up because I didn't want to. I didn't want to get take this series off the rails, and so I went back and listened to the first several messages in this series because I wanted to stay uh, kind of true to where you're headed with this. Uh, and and so today I want to talk to you about here for good. God keeps His promises. And I'm excited to bring this message to you, and I hope by the end of the message uh, that, that you will have, uh, if, you've, if you've not really tapped into or really understand what God has promised or what that promise is based on, that you'll have a better understanding and that you'll be able to make a commitment to lean into God's promises, to be to you who He said He will be, and to do for you what He says and promises that He will do. And so Romans chapter 9 will be our text today. Uh, this last week, um, I was looking at my Facebook feed, Rhonda, it came up on Rhonda's in, as well, and uh, some very close friends of ours popped up on the feed, delightful friends of ours, uh, Steve and Jana, and uh, they were celebrating their 20th anniversary, and Jana had this big smile on her face, and Steve just is so in love with Jana, I mean, it's... it's it just had this huge smile from a big old strong guy just who knows he's in love with a good woman. And 20 years, and it was, and Jana captioned that feed by saying, Steve, congratulations, happy anniversary to Steve, who has been keeping his promises to me for the past 20 years. Isn't that delightful? I mean, isn't that sweet? Uh, and it, and uh, it, it's just an example of what it means to keep kind of a promise in everyday life. Now, Steve and Jana, uh, this is not their first marriage. This, they are excited to have a strong marriage now, but they are, are also have experienced the difficulties and the brokenness of a broken marriage in the past. And so that makes it even more exciting for them. Promises. What is a promise? Let's define terms. A promise is a binding offer or commitment on the part of one person to another uh, with the expectation of some kind of performance. Now, that's kind of, a, uh, kind of a wordy definition, but we think about and we experience promises every day, expectations of the people around us. When you drive on the road, don't you have an expectation that you're going to stay in your lane and somebody else is going to stay in their lane? We hope that happens, and we want them to keep their commitment that they're going to look into their mirror or look around and, and catch their blind spot before they run into you. Promises. There's kind of a tacit promise uh, in the Bay Area and elsewhere. I've noticed it's not, not that much of an agreement in Texas when we were there. But in the Bay Area, when you have two lanes coming together, you do the zipper approach, one, then the other, one, then the other. And if you kind of get out of line somebody's going to let you know that you went out of turn, right? Or you're going to let somebody else know. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a promise or an agreement that we keep with one another. But it seems like all of our promises that we, we live out, many of them have fine print on them, don't they? Fine print. that um, um, Promises that have the little asterisk by it that says, we promise that we will do this, and then there is... 
a dozen pages of why we may not be able to do this. It's got the asterisk. I bought some years ago a pair of nail clippers, and I had a choice between which kind of nail clippers to buy, and I bought the one that had a lifetime warranty. A lifetime warranty because I thought I'd pay a little extra because, you know, if they break, you know, I'm going to live a long time, and so I thought the, the odds were in my favor that I would be able to kind of get, you know, get rewarded for my, uh, my smart move. And so I took my nail clippers home, and I thought, well, this is pretty good. I'm pretty wise, you know. Uh, and I looked at the warranty, and it said, if these should fail for whatever reason, it said, take these clippers and put them in a box and mail them to us, and it gave the address, and it gave all the things you had to go through in order to send those $3.50 clippers back to the company so that they could replace it, and I figured out it was going to cost me 7 or $8 and a whole lot of trouble uh, just, just to send those clippers back to them. Always fine print. Speaking of fine print, when you um, start a new software package or something, you remember, the, who knows the, the, the term terms of service, terms of service. We, among all people, are the common or probably the biggest liars around. Because when we get to that place on the website, you log in for the first time and you have to agree to what? The terms of service. It says, click on this button if you've done what? If you've read the terms of service. And so I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because how many of you have ever actually read the terms of service before? I, a couple of you have. Okay, good. Um, my wife said she did like maybe eight or nine years ago. And that was it. Don't read them anymore. Well, I looked, at, uh, I looked at the terms of service uh, for one of these companies who was local. I don't need to name it because this could be describing any of the, any of the companies. The terms of service agreement is 7,256 words long. Now, if, if you single space type 7,256 words, you know how long that is? It's a pretty good little chapter. It's 18 pages, single spaced. And that, uh, saying that you will agree to grant license to this company for worldwide, royalty-free, perpetual, irrevocable, and unrestricted use of the content that you put on their site, okay? That's the agreement. That's the promise that you make to them. And so really, the translation is, when you agree to terms of service, you are agreeing to post your content here so that we can do whatever we like with it forever without notice to you or permission from you. That's the promise that we make. I want to talk to you about three kinds of promises, then we're going to look at our text and see what God's promises look like for us. One kind of a promise is a transactional promise. It's kind of an exchange of goods and services, a transaction. I go to Starbucks or whatever coffee you like, and you, you give them $3, $3.50, they give you a cup of coffee. It's kind of an exchange. It's kind of a promise that we make to one another. We don't have to write it all out. We just have that expectation. There's other more complex transactions. If you've ever taken out a loan on a home or bought real property, you've seen that stack of papers that you have to sign when it comes to closing time. Real estate transfer documents, loan documents, title documents, disclosure documents, all of these documents. And again, how many of you have read that whole stack if you've ever signed? We don't, but we just kind of assume. But that's a transactional type of a promise. The second one is kind of a relational promise. We do this all the time, don't we? Relational promises. Some of them are very informal, and probably the most formal one that we have is marriage, isn't it? 
And that's not just a little promise. When you stand in front of your friends and family and you say these words, uh, that is a promise that, uh, that people can hold you to. In the name of God, I blank take you blank to be my wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and health, uh, to love and to cherish, forsaking all others till what? Death do his part. That's a pretty solid promise, isn't it? That's, that's weighty. That's, that's something you, you don't do lightly. You stand up in front of people, and, you, and if, you, if you're not really willing to make that commitment, you shouldn't be doing it. And so people stand up, and they make that promise in front of people. But that's a, that's a relational promise. And, and probably the promise that I want to talk to you about today is more of the existential promise. This is, this is the area where we don't really think about that much if we're not really looking at God's Word or thinking big picture, eternal picture. But that's what this is all about. Who makes promises to you not just for the lifetime but for your eternity? Now, we, we don't even think about that that much. In fact, people who, who aren't religious, so to speak, they, they, often, they often just, if they think about it at all, it's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen after I die. We'll just kind of wait and see what happens then. And so they, they go into eternity without actually having thought through very deeply or made any commitment or had any promises about what happens after this lifetime. That's the existential promise that I want to talk to you about today, matters of life, death, matters of eternity. So the challenge is when we live in a world where promises are hard to come by and promises are hard uh, to be kept and we feel the pain of the broken promises, who can you trust to follow through? Who can you trust to follow through? So here's the major truth. God follows through on his word. And so when we live in a culture where we have to document with legalese the kinds of promises that we make or keep, we have a God who speaks to us not based upon legalese, but based upon his word. You've heard the term, his word is his bond. Her word is her bond. What does that mean? That means that that person, if they say it, if they say it, you know they're going to follow through on it. You don't have to ask them. You don't have to call and check on them. You don't have to text them because they're going to follow through on their word. And, and so that's just a little glimpse of the kind of character that God exhibits when we say that God is following through on his word. So let me teach about three foundational truths related to God's promises, and we find these in the text today, because I want us to be able to lock in on these promises and take advantage of them and receive them and base our lives on them. The first foundational truth is actually in the question, the who. What about the who related to God's promises? When we look at the text we see in Romans chapter 9, verse 16 and following, oh, let me read this, but before I read it, the question came up is, is God still true to his promise? That's the question that's being answered here in this chapter. God selected Israel. He had a chosen people, and he said that he was going to bless them, and his promise to Israel was he would make them a great nation, and that he would bless not just that nation, but he would bless all of the world through that nation. However, Israel, as you read through the biblical accounts, Israel was disobedient to the call that God gave them to do. Their call was to be a blessing to the whole world. And to, by, by being obedient to God and, and, and following through on, his, on their relationship with Him. However, they were disobedient. And so the question was, is if, if someone is disobedient, 
is God still going to follow through on his promise? And so this is what this scripture is about. And we'll find out what God is saying here. In verse 16 and following, it says, It does not therefore depend upon man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so what I want to answer the question right now is, the who of God's promises. Who do his promises depend upon? God's promises are based upon who? Based upon not circumstances. They're not based upon teachings. They're based upon the very essence, the very character and the nature of the promise giver. That's a great thing for us to be thinking about and leaning into today when we live in a time when we have to document all of these different things related to promises. God's promises are based upon his own character and nature. He keeps his promises not just because that's what he does. He keeps his promises because that's who he is. He lives out. He's consistent with himself. He is a promise keeper. He keeps promises uh, in ways uh, that are not contrary to his own act, his own nature. And another scripture, our scripture text here says, it does not therefore depend upon man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. What do God's promises depend upon? It doesn't, his promises don't depend upon our desire or our response. His promises therefore depends upon his mercy, his character, his nature. He says in Hosea verse 25, I will call them my people who are, uh, who are not my people. I will call their, and I will call her my beloved one, who is not my beloved one. What he's saying here, he's saying, I will follow through on my promises, even if they choose to rebel against me, because I am true to my word. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why does he remain faithful? Because his promises aren't depend upon circumstance. His promises are depend upon his own character and his own nature. Here's a key. God is faithful to his people, not because his people are faithful. He's faithful to his people because he is true to himself. Isn't that good for us to know that we can think about these existential questions? We can think about not just this life, but eternity uh, based upon someone bigger than ourselves, someone who can, is, has the capacity to keep these promises. In, in our day and time, how do, you, how do you assess the veracity of someone's word? How do, you, how do you really assess their character? Now, there's different ways to do it. You can talk to them, you can interview, but, but even there's, there's high-tech ways that we can kind of figure out if people are true to their word. Uh, any, any Yelp users, got a few in here? I mean, the whole concept of Yelp is to be able to find out if someone has the capacity to do what they promised they're going to do and have people had a good experience or bad experience with that promise. Do they, do they fulfill, a one star would say, man, this, this person has some issue and has uh, not fulfilled the promise. If they've got, what, four, what is it, five star scale? If the five, is it four star? If you get five stars, you're doing good. You're doing good and you, you're more likely to tap in or, or buy that coffee or go to that restaurant uh, uh, and do it that way. 
that's one way to attest to the veracity. And so God's character and nature, we, how do we attest to God's veracity? Well, we do it in a similar way. Yeah. There we go. Well, we do it, we do it in a similar way in the sense that um, we, we understand God's character in this way. God's character and nature. Four things that I want you to write down about God's character. The first one is God is capable. He's capable. And one reason that we can understand how, uh, if God is going to follow through with his promises, is because he's powerful. He's capable. He can do it. He has capacity. If God were not powerful, his promises would be empty. The second word is God is good. If God were not good, then his promises would perpetuate evil. And the third, God is consistent. True to his character, God is consistent. So he is capable, he's good, he's consistent, and then finally he is right. How do you determine if someone is right or not? Who sets the standard for rightness in life? Well, if you're a software company, you set your own standard and you ask people to, to agree to it. Sometimes it's a negotiation. But in God's case, setting the standard for right is his very character and his nature and his essence. We know what is right based upon not what we think, but based upon who God is. He is right based upon himself. So number one, we want to ask the question, who, the who about the promise? And the who, the answer to the who is God is true to his character and nature. Therefore, he will keep his promises. Second, let's talk about the why. The why. God keeps his promises to display his glory for God's glory. God keeps his promises. Why? Does he keep his promises so that we will be comfortable? Does he keep his promises so that life will go well with us? No. He keeps his promises because he wants to display his glory. Doesn't that sound a little bit audacious to you? Uh, when God keeps his promises related to his own glory. And so I, I just want you to think about that for just a moment. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed on the earth. Do you see what our text says today? God keeps his promises, but he does it not for us, but for himself. What does glory mean? That's kind of a, kind of a spiritual word, a word that, that might be more familiar to us is the word fame. Fame or um, renown. Uh, so, so God keeps his promises so that he will make his own name famous. That's what he wants to do because that's who he is. The big picture is not God's, not just our comfort, but God's glory. And so I, I want us to consider uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, if you turn back for just a moment. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing for the glory that is revealed to us. God keeps his promises so that he will uh, be made known and his name will be made famous. Let's just talk about the big picture for a minute. You know, we're, we're talking about this lifetime. We went back to a promise that was made thousands of years ago. And then we've, we've also looked forward to, to see how things are going to end up. Let's just take a snapshot of the future. When we're talking about these, these existential, these big promises, 
In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, and listen to this, this is a snapshot of the future, of God keeping his promise. What will it look like uh, when God keeps his promise in the end? The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. What's the picture? The picture is Jesus is in charge, and the whole world is lined up underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ will be getting that glory. His promise can be fully understood in the context of his mission, of his mission. Making Israel a great nation wasn't the end game, and God keeping his promise to you isn't the end game. The end game is that God will receive glory in the end. For God was pleased, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his faithfulness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or things in heaven, uh, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How is it that God's going to keep this promise? He's doing it through his son, Jesus Christ. We know he's going to be true to himself, and he's going to get glory because he gives glory to his son. And so the big picture is simply this, that God wants us to participate with him as he brings and draws glory unto himself. So we've seen a couple of things so far. We've We've seen the who, we've seen the the why. The who is God is truthful and and consistent with his own character. Uh, The why is he he makes and keeps promises to us so that he will receive glory. Then the third is the how. The how. God executes his promises through his people. How does he do it? He executes his promises through his people. What is it that God wants to do ultimately? He wants to bring fame and glory and renown to his name, and he wants to do it through his son, Jesus Christ. But he's going to do that not just by by doing skywriting or or communicate this message in some other benign way. He's going to do it through his people. He chose Israel back in the day in the same way he chose us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to live for Jesus, to receive Jesus so that we can communicate Jesus to a world that is lost and a world that's dying. That's the how. What if he did this to make, and this is uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 23. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for his glory, even us whom he called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles, And so God does it through his people, Jews, Gentiles. God's going to communicate that message to all. In his sovereignty, God communicates his mission through his own people. Israel wanted the benefits of that promise without actually having a relationship with the promise giver. Don't we do that sometimes? We we want to have the benefits uh, without having the cost. And that's just human nature. But God says, if you want to have the benefits of the promise. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is receive. All you have to do is receive. The who, the why, and the how are fully answered in Jesus Christ. That's great news. The who, the how, and the why are fully answered in Christ. The who, well, it's, it's God's true to his promises, but what is he going to, God is most fully known, 
and he is made most fully famous through the person of Jesus Christ. God is not some spiritual, mystic force of the universe or something in the environment that makes the world spin. God is not Mother Earth. God is most fully known as he presents himself and reveals himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's today that this promise is a specific promise. It's not a promise to get religion. It's not a promise to try to do better, that, that if you try harder, God will be more pleased with you. The promise is this, that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and he promises forgiveness for us. It would be easy, and people do this all the time, how do you live a better life? The Bible is not about how to live a better life. The Bible is all about the story of God bringing glory to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Is God true to his promise even when we are faithless? Yeah, God was, is true. He was true and is true to Israel even though Israel was faithless to him. Is God true to his promise even if we can't keep our commitments to him? Yes, because that's his character and that's his nature. God's promises might benefit you in the end, but the main point of his promises aren't benefits to you. It's glory to him. When, is God, when God is glorified, that's when we are most blessed. If we seek blessing first without glorifying God, we've got it totally backwards. What we need to be doing is seeking the renown and the glory and the famousness of God. In that, we find our blessing. So, what about promises these days? Yesterday, Rhonda and I were driving through some back roads and uh, went out and had a brunch. And, and um, we saw a place where I, I, I've, I've ridden out there before and I've seen police out there just uh, uh, watching to make sure nobody's speeding. And today was that, yesterday was a banner day for the particular police that were on patrol on that particular road because he had four, count them, four motorcyclists pa pulled off on the side of the road. Now, I don't know how you catch one motorcyclist, but he caught four of them at once. And I saw, you know, they were all signing. What, you know, what is it, that thing you sign when you, uh, when you get pulled over for a ticket? What is that thing you sign? It's called a promise to appear. <laughs> promise to appear. And so in their life, they had to make that promise to appear. And what was that promise based upon? It was based upon kind of coercion. The police, I can imagine the conversation, you guys don't have to sign this. And if you don't want to sign it, that's okay. We'll just have to do it another way. And so that promise was, was enforced through coercion. And um, God's promises are not enforced through coercion. He doesn't force us to do anything. He offers us something. He offers to give us something. In fact, that's the heart of his promise. I just want to give. I don't want to extract anything from you. I just want to have a relationship with you. And so as we think about Romans chapter 9 in the context of the full book of Romans, the good news is, is that Jesus Christ died for us. And so one promise I want to offer to you today that God offers to all of us is the promise of forgiveness. Every one of us in this room, as, as uh, it was in the first message, every one of us is a sinner until we acknowledge that we're a sinner, we're never going to understand that we have a need of a Savior. And so as we acknowledge that, that we're sinners, I just want to offer to us 
all the opportunity for forgiveness. God promises to forgive. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 2, God promises to do what? To take our sins if we confess our sins to him and separate our sins as far as the east is from the west and, and, and totally wipe the slate clean so that we can begin with a brand new and a fresh relationship. If you're here today and you've never had that opportunity to ask God for forgiveness based upon the fact that you're understanding that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, I just want to offer that to you today. If you're here and you're a Christian and you've, you've leaned into that promise and you've said yes to Jesus, there, there might be something there today that would be between you and Jesus, a, 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 a sin that needs to be confessed. Uh, the same opportunity for you is there, promise to forgive. The second promise that I want to offer to you today is the promise for deliverance. In Romans chapter 6, we talk about the, the slavery to sin and the fact that Jesus Christ breaks those bonds to sin and he sets us free not to be slaves to sin but to be servants of Jesus. And so that promise that is offered is promise, prom, a promise of deliverance from sin. Sin is no longer master over you. And so today as I bring this to a close, think, think about Think about who God is. He is here for our good. He is here for his glory. And he wants to keep his promise to you, and he makes that offer. I extend that offer to you today to lean into God, his character, and his nature, to display God's glory by seeing the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ so that you can be a part of God's greater mission to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, not just here, but throughout the world. In Jesus' name.